Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drahada, Dundalk, and Cavan. We want you to challenge us for the best deal on a new Renault or Dacia in 2020. You can now inquire at blackstonemotors.ie. You're very welcome to the final late launch of the week. Wouldn't I love to be saying that every week? Just in for two days and it's the final show of the week. I'm only joking. I love you so much. I'm just delighted to be here every day, Monday to Friday. Anyway, nice short week to get us back on our feet on late launch. And we have a lovely lineup of guests for you, as usual, this afternoon. Let's begin. Miss Loud. Miss Ireland, Miss World, and we followed her all the way. Yes, fresh from the Miss World final in London, where she had an incredible time just before Christmas. I'm delighted to welcome back to Late Lunch. You know her well. She's part of the furniture here now. Chelsea Farrell, welcome. Hello. It's great to see you again. Oh, thank you. It's great to see you again too. Well, well, well. Let's catch up from the last time you were here. You're headed off to London on what date? Early December, was the it? Thir- November. November. Jesus, it's twentieth of November. November yes, you went, is right. Yeah. What am I thinking about? The final was the fourteenth. <laughs> yeah, I got mixed up there myself. You too. were over there for the guts of four weeks. Yeah, it was a month in total that I was over in London for in preparation for the final, but it was the best month of my life. Definitely. Isn't it fantastic to be able to reflect and say that? Yes. Why? Yeah. Why was it? What was it? What was so great about it? Made it great? I think it was. So obviously I went over for the experience and I didn't know what I was letting myself in for. It was, OK, I'm going to London for the month to prep for the Miss World final. But when I went over there, there was 111 of us in total. And to learn about all the different countries and cultures and meet all the other girls, that was the highlight for me because I've made friends from all over the world. But in general, it's just something that opens your eyes to the world and opens your eyes to what actually goes on outside of Ireland so it was just incredible it was a life-changing experience so are you telling me that you don't have to worry about holiday destinations forevermore exactly yeah. you just have all these places all over this yeah, planet to go to yeah and I just take the flights and I can just go wherever oh, I want oh you're so <laughs> jealous let me say but listen it's part and parcel of, exactly, of what it yeah. was when, when you go over there you know you're a confident young woman we we know you at this stage but still you know when you when you arrive and meeting all these new people and the diverse cultures and nationalities yeah. is there a bit of apprehension there as well yeah I was very nervous reckon like and I thought I was a very confident person I'd never really get nervous but when I went over I found I was shying away from everything because I'm standing in a room full of girls and I'm going okay right I'm up there with these now how do I control how I feel and how I like portray myself in this room but the first two days yeah you're nervous and you're kind of you don't know what to expect but once you get in there and once you start talking and start being yourself then it was fine you just eased your way into it did the time fly by 
It did. Well, the first two weeks absolutely flew because we were having so much fun. We were going off, we were doing events and we were rehearsing for the show and everything was new to us. And then obviously we were getting to know each other. But then the last week it just dragged out because it was all rehearsals and prepping for the show. And then we were missing home. We wanted to get home, but we didn't want to leave at the same time. So the last week was quite slow, but the rest of it flew. And then when we woke up the morning after the final, it was like, okay, can we start again? We didn't want to come home then. <laughs> uh, the mood changes yeah, completely. completely. And I'm sure there's a real air of sadness when it's all over as you yeah. say your goodbyes. Yeah, I um, actually was lucky because my roommate, she's like my sister, but we got to go to the airport together and her flight was at half seven and mine was at half five. And then my flight was delayed. So we actually got to stay together right up until our flights both left at the same time. So we were devastated but we were like we're not gonna we're gonna pretend we're happy so we got our little lunch together and then when it came to flight time it was tears all around <laughs> I, take it, I take it you know a lot about Malta at this yes. stage because Miss Malta was your, your yeah, roomie, uh, roommate Nicole Vela yeah. and uh, you, you you call your sister now yeah she really is she's like the sister twin sister that I never had and I think because obviously I was living with her we were in the same room for the month we were sharing everything even down to clothes makeup like we were sharing everything we were eating together we were going on day trips together so it's not like a friend over here he'd see twice a week it was like I was spending so much time with her so we created that bond that was just like a sisterhood really I'll let you in a little secret. She's coming to Ireland, isn't she? Yes, in the summer. she is. She and is. I can't wait. And hopefully indeed. I'm going to go to Malta as well. Ah, oh, fantastic. <laughs> yes, it has to be a reciprocal yes, exactly. arrangement. But when you talk about you two sharing and becoming so close, when you have 111 beautiful young women together, do you get a sense, like, is there rivalry? Was there any conflict? Or is there really, are you being honest with me saying, is there that togetherness? Yeah, it was like a huge sisterhood. Now, obviously, there's 111 girls. There's going to be a little bit of trouble. There's going to be girls who think they're up there and girls who kind of come down on you a little bit harder. But at the end of the day, you're going to have that everywhere. So the competition side of it, there was a little group that were very competitive, but we all stayed with the nicer side and we all kept it friendly and kept it there for the experience and to make the friendships rather than there to be better than everybody else. So you're telling me that there are people go there and it's no holds barred. I want to win and whatever it takes, I'm just going to get there. There's that type of individual. But you never went with that approach. I never got that from you. No, never. I was more so like, because I'm very down to earth. So I said, I'm going over for the experience to make friends, to create new opportunities. And then whatever comes alongside it is an extra. So that was my mindset. And that was 99% of the girls' mindsets as well, which was lovely because I've probably had have about 20 girls now that will be stuck to my hip for the rest of my life so that's a win for me what's it like being a celebrity for four weeks in london because that's the way you are treated you know in all the places you were brought you're welcomed and people want to meet you and shake hands and have photos with you (laughs) yeah it was something that i don't think you'll ever get used to so obviously when we were there we went to different um the national opera house we went to see the mikado and that was a relaxed performance so it was for children with special needs it was phenomenal but like to be there and to have all these little kids looking up to you and looking for pictures and autographs and everything and i'm going i'm just me from ireland you don't need my autograph <laughs> it was crazy and even to be invited to different things and like peter andre was hosting the show but he was in rehearsals with us and it was as if like we were up there with him it was crazy there's no words to describe how it feels being a celebrity in London for a month. <laughs> I see you've mentioned subsequently that that Mikado performance yeah. was one of the highlights Yes, for you. it was. It was completely the highlight of my whole time there. I think because obviously, like, I love musical theatre, so I'd go to different shows and that. Um, but 
I've never been to an opera. So for me, I thought it was just an opera showing. But when I got there and seen on the ticket, it said relaxed performance. But I was like, what, what is that? And then when I looked down and I seen all the children and adults with special needs and disabilities and they had the lights up and it was quieter, there was less flashy lights and different things. I realised then, okay, this is a special performance for these people, which you don't really see very often. And that for me, I actually sat and I cried because I was going, this is so amazing. They need to do this more for these kind of people. Because I know even in Ireland, like the Olympia have Cinderella on at the minute, but they don't do that for people who can't go to a regular showing. So I think that's something that really just hit home with me. It was incredible. Had you much freedom, you know, in the time you were there or were you really, uh, you know, uh, within parameters that you had to, you know, be... Yeah, Yeah. so we had a certain time to be up, a time to leave, a time for lunch, a time for dinner, a time to go to bed. It was very regimental, very strict, but it had to be because there's so many of us, they had to keep it under control. And then it got everything done the way it should be. So it was a nice process, but yeah, it was quite strict and quite tight security as well. What about the night itself? Your mum, Carrie, is here with you again today. She travels everywhere with you. (laughs) And your dad and your family and friends have been such a great support. But you had a great crew over with you for the the final. Yeah, I had the whole itself. of Ireland with me. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was the night itself like? So, obviously, beforehand, we were all so nervous because it was like we could hear, we were standing backstage and we could hear the crowds, but we couldn't see them. So we didn't know whether we were going to go out and there'd be 10 people or whether we'd go out and the audience would be full. But the minute we got onto that stage, it was just like we could all burst with pride. But I know for me, I was like, right, don't be emotional. Don't cry. Like stand here now and smile. But it was the nicest feeling in the world to stand up on that stage and know that you're there representing your country and that everyone in the audience waving their Irish flags are there to watch you. So it was just so overwhelming. But then the show itself, I mean, like 10 minutes felt like all it was. It was over in the blink of an eye and then that's when the sadness came in too because we did we opened with Rise Like a Phoenix and then it went into our traditional dance and then Peter Andre but once we were in our mysterious girl costumes we were going okay now after this dance that's it like it's over <laughs> so it went by so quick but it was one of like I do shows I've done shows my whole life but this was the best show I've ever been a part of Tony Ann Singh uh, was the eventual yes. winner from Jamaica. Would you have picked her out? You know, you know when you're in a group and you come across her, obviously, yeah. in your time there, or was it a surprise yeah. choice? Do you know or? what? It was quite hard to judge because so many girls were so amazing. Like, each one of us was talented in her own way. We all had our own strengths and our own weaknesses. But I think Tony, the minute Tony stood up at her audition and sang her song, I knew. I said, that girl has it because her voice just blew the roof off. But when she sat back down, she was like, no, 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 like I, I wasn't good. And I'm looking at her going, Tony, like you need to realise how good you are. And then the whole ritual, she was just so lovely. She's very, very quiet, but she just had this persona about her. You knew when she walked into the room, she had that look. So I was delighted. I could not have had a better winner this year than Tony. She's just amazing. You were crowned Miss Loud back in, what month was it? earlier in the year June, July yeah, yeah summertime yeah, July, then you picked up the Irish title September, September time yeah. Miss World in December so you have quite a bit of your reign as yes, Miss Ireland to actually come you know yes, what I mean you have yeah. to look ahead to this how do you feel about the whole thing at this stage in terms yeah. of you and your life I'm just like God, see, I can't even put it into words how I feel do you know what it's something that I never thought that I would be sitting here after experiencing and have like have my life at this point I never thought that I would get to this stage so I actually sat near Eve when I was typing out my 
thing about you know how grateful I was for everything that happened and I think it hit me how how far I'd come this year and how far I still have to go so I'm just so grateful for everything and for everything that has come my way and obviously everyone that's around me as well it's just the support has been incredible but to be where I am now at my age I'm just I'm proud of myself obviously if I do say so but you know it's just something do that I say it and <laughs> shout it from the highest tree young woman because I know you don't do it at times yourself but do say it and, yeah. I, and I'll say it on your behalf as well oh. I saw saw you on TV uh, in Crumlin Hospital, yes, the, yeah. the big day there for the children just before Christmas. How was that? It was tough. I'm not going to lie. It was hard to do. And when I got, when I won Miss Ireland, I was asked if I wanted to do it. So I said, of course, put me down. I'd never even heard about this celebrity ward walk in Crumlin. So I said, yeah, no, I'll do it. And I went up with a strong mind, you know, yes, these kids are in, but they'll all get out, you know, kind of thinking positive. But when I walked into the ward and I seen all these little babies that were sick and children that were sick, but they were all smiling and they were all happy and they were all dancing around and singing and we did a lovely little carol service and it was just so beautiful to see them. But although, yes, it was sad, it was happy at the same time because we were putting a smile on these children's faces. And for me, that's what I had said. Yes, my title, it's people think it's all about glamour and beauty and that, but it's far from it. It's about how I can use my title to help others and in particular children. Like when I walk into a room and see a little girl, I always bring little tiaras with me. And there was one little girl and she was in bed and she was after having an operation and she, no, I don't want a tiara, I don't want one, leave me alone. Like she was very down in herself, but I seen she was looking at my crown. So I took my crown off and I held it over her head and let her mommy take a picture of her. And oh my God, that was just the most heartwarming moment for me because she was smiling. She hadn't smiled since she came out of theatre. She was in over Christmas. She was very, very... Obviously, she was sad. She was only about four. And once I put that crown on her head, it was like she was just a changed little girl. And then she took the little tiara off me and she had it on her head. And that was it. That did it for me. So to be able to put a smile on a child's face or to brighten somebody's day is what I'm here for and why I have this title. Magical. Yeah. I can just picture it as you you, you describe it, it there. Um, Christmas has come and gone and the new yeah. year has just passed. <laughs> was it difficult? You know, you know, you said when you waved your goodbyes, yeah. you wanted to get home sort of at the end yes, of the four weeks. Yeah, and then I when did. it came to the moment, you thought, oh my God, this adventure is over. This it's part over, of it yeah, anyway. How was your Christmas and new year? Did, was it easy to get was, your feet back on the ground? Yeah, it was kind of hard. The first week when I came home, I was still in routine. So I was like jumping up out of bed at like six o'clock going, oh wait, I don't have to get up and do my makeup at this time. I'm okay. And then it was more so the tiredness set in because you don't have time to be tired when you're away so I was tired and then I was missing all the girls and it was kind of hard to snap back into my routine at home but then for me this year Christmas had a completely different message because I wanted Christmas to be all about who was around me you know I didn't care about presents I didn't care about anything it was about family and friends around me because I had missed them so much when I was away so (laughs) it was incredible I had a lovely Christmas So what about the year ahead what would you like to do I I know we all hear what you're saying and we know what you want to highlight and get involved in have you any projects in particular you'd like to yeah I do on. have one little idea and I can share it with you today because I'm in the middle of trying to plan it myself but I do want to do a big um, gala charity ball this year but for people with disabilities and special needs rather than arranged a lot of these charity balls are organized to raise money for these charities but they don't often include the individuals themselves so I want to do it as a charity ball for the people with disabilities who will be invited to come along to enjoy the night and experience what a gala ball or an awards night is like so that is my plan and hopefully for Down Syndrome Ireland and Variety Ireland will be the two charities that it will be for. Has it changed you in any way? 
You don't seem different to me, by the way, from the first day you walked in here, yeah. even before that. Not really. I think because I'm the kind of person who, like, I'm always myself no matter what. And I think that's what got me to where I am today because I'm true to myself all the time. But the only thing it did change is that when I was in London, it opened my eyes to the rest of the world. When we sat and watched all the other girls' Beauty With A Purpose videos, I actually didn't realise how severe other countries had problems with, like, war. There's one country... um, I think it was Indonesia and hers were abandoned babies all over the country and her beauty with a purpose it just touched on me so much so when I was sitting watching them I opened my eyes to how the world works but also to how lucky I am to be living in Ireland and to have what I have and it really did just change your mindset completely to be grateful for what you have and appreciate everything while you have it. This has and will continue, you know, to open doors yes, for you. Yes, and definitely. of course we all know midwifery is where yeah, you hope to end eventually. To. Yeah, could that be derailed over the next six months or so? You know, if yeah, was I was kind of thinking about it, and when I was over in London, it was like the last thing that I had thought that I would do would be midwifery. Now, like I'm kind of in the mindset where I have so many ideas and so many plans, and I'm going, do I want to go back in September and stop what I'm doing now? So I think I could put it off for a little bit longer mm. and keep pushing at what I'm doing. <laughs> Isn't it really exciting to be yes, here on the 3rd of January and, you know, talking like this and seeing endless yeah. possibilities ahead of you because it has opened so many doors for others. Yeah. You know, yeah. you are the crown holder of Miss Ireland at the yes. moment, but in the past as well. Remember the last day you were here and you talked to me about that stalking yes. story in your life? My God, that had some impact, hadn't yeah, it? Yeah, it did. But again, that pushed me to where I am today because it gave me strength and it taught me that, yes, there is bad people. There's going to be negativity, but you can pull through it and you will find your light at the end of the tunnel. And if you keep pushing to be happy and be successful, you'll get there no matter what knockbacks come your way or what setbacks are thrown at you. Just keep being positive and keep pushing and you'll come out on top. I'm telling you, that brought a huge reaction. And again, you were yeah. using your title and that to yeah, highlight to something. Highlight and to help others, The obviously. amount of people that came back to us and to praise you what you did on that day I didn't get a chance to tell you afterwards was remarkable so you've touched many many people and that's all I said if I helped one person with my story then that was enough for me what would you say to young ladies listening today you know who might this year you know consider you know starting off in your county you did in Louth and we have me will be the same beside us here our two counties locally if, if they were thinking of maybe giving this a shot what would you say to them I tell them to just go for it. I know there's a lot of girls messaging me saying, oh, I've thought about it, but I don't think I'll be good enough and this, that and the other. And I'm giving them all the same advice. You are as good as you make yourself to be. So if you want to do something, do it. Don't hold back. Don't let anyone else tell you not to do it because at the end of the day, your success comes from you, nobody else. So any girl that is out there, any girl that's listening, that's thinking about doing it, just apply for it because everything happens for a reason. And I'm a firm believer in that. If you go onto my Instagram, I say it every day because what's in your path is in your path for a reason and if it's going to come to you it will come to you so just apply don't be afraid and go for it because it is the best experience ever not only for the winner obviously of Miss Ireland for any girl that enters it it opens so many doors but it gives you that opportunity and it does give you a little bit of life experience as well so I think just go and try your best Wonderful words. Just as an aside, you mentioned Instagram and Miss World, my word across Instagram, all of the girls. 
just to, uh, took uh, over. Uh, yeah, is is it the the preferred social media yeah. platform? Yeah, yes, of any be. of the others. Yeah, so Instagram and Mobster were the biggest, but obviously Instagram is our platform. It's like the platform for Miss Ireland. It's where a lot of your work comes in. Everything revolves around Instagram. So there was a lot of pressure on us to keep our Instagrams up to speed and keep talking on stories and keep promoting everything. But it's what made the experience so much more enjoyable because you were nearly it was a friendly competition between you and all your girls to see whose Instagram post was better or you know that kind of thing. So it was like it enjoy we made it more enjoyable by doing that because we were out we were trying to find where we could get fun, funky pictures or where we could get like the best scenery and all so it made it more enjoyable for us more than anything but Instagram definitely it, it was one of the biggest challenges for Miss World You always look amazing when I oh, meet you when you. we see you on Instagram <laughs> you know when you're in the public eye as well but does Chelsea Farrell dress down and have the do, days where yes, do, the makeup is not on and yeah. you don't do the hair and you're in the <laughs> yeah, tracky? I actually and had one yesterday. I had, had one of them days yesterday and like for the five days beforehand. But, you know, everyone thinks, and I get messages off young girls all the time, how do you look so good all the time? How is your tan so nice? Why have you always got makeup on? I don't. And I do go onto Instagram real when I have no makeup on in my pyjamas. But I think a lot of young girls in particular need to realise that even I have my down days. I spend days in my pyjamas. I wear trackies and have my glasses on. People don't even realise I wear glasses. So there you go. And I do. You got me. <laughs> there you go. But you know, it's so important to have them days too, because that's who you are. You need to be able to be yourself glam, but be yourself in your comfies as well. But isn't it nice to be pampered as well yes, and have all these yeah, supports from, from different businesses, yeah, etc., which, you, which you've had. And I'm sure you have so many people to thank, haven't you, for? Yes, because so this has many. been Team Chelsea Yes, Farrell. it hasn't just been me. I didn't get myself to where I am. If I hadn't have had everyone around me and the supports of family and friends and businesses, I wouldn't be sitting here today. So it's wasn't just me. I didn't do it on my own. It was everyone. It was a team effort that got me to succeed as much as I have. Well, we're thrilled for you and congratulations on a wonderful performance in London and carrying the flag brilliantly for this country. The little girl from RD in County (laughs) Loud, Miss Ireland on the world stage. I wish you well in the weeks and months ahead and I'm sure we'll talk before you have to hand that crown back (laughs) later in the year. But for the moment, Chelsea Farrell, thank you so much for joining me again. Thank you for having me. Marion Finucane, we must mention her name today. What a shock, I have to say, I got yesterday when the news broke because I was listening to her. I'd often hear her on Saturday, Sunday, if I was going somewhere in the car, she'd be on listening to her. I enjoyed her on the radio and she had some wonderful, many wonderful and seminal interviews. But to hear of her passing yesterday, were you shocked to hear of it? You know, it's not... I think I, I, like, I, I didn't really listen to her, but yes. I, you know you know her name and you know her as a oh, powerhouse. Yeah. Oh, um, listen. But I think everybody was just shocked when the news mm. came out, didn't they? Oh, really? You know, there was gay burn before Christmas, but yes. that was kind of expected almost. Yes, yes. But, but not Marion This Marianne was Falucan. just suddenly. Mm. It really was such a sudden taking. We remember her today, and she was a trailblazer in Irish broadcasting on many, many levels, and especially for women on the air and radio and women's issues as well, but much more besides. She was brilliant to listen to, and I'll never forget the interview she did with Nula O'Fuelan, her late friend, before Nula... Nula was close to death and that interview, oh my word, it was powerful, powerful stuff. But we remember Marion today. I never met her, but I I enjoyed her on radio and the uh, topics she covered. May she rest in peace and sympathy to her family, especially at this very, very sad time. You're at Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Up next on the show after two, Tommy and Tracer Smith are in the house. 
just before they head back home to New York City, I'm so pleased to tell you that we have a grumpy pundit. His name is Tommy Smith. I think you know him. And his wife, Trassa, presenter of the longest-running Irish radio show in the USA, Ireland, calls with me in the hot seat on Late Lunch. Hey, I'm delighted to see you pair again. Welcome back. Thanks very much, Thank Jerry. You very Thank much, you Jerry. very much, Jerry. Very happy. happy New Year to you. <laughs> and all your listeners as yeah. well. And to you too as well. A grumpy pundit. Does the title suit him, Trasa? Oh, without a doubt. Himself and Rodney, certainly. <laughs> <laughs> Tell them the story of this show. Come on, Tommy. Well, the show is uh, basically uh, Rodney Marsh and myself. We get on there at nine o'clock in the morning. And we abuse people for three hours until noontime, and they abuse us back. And it's it's a soccer show. I mean, and uh, we the, the unique thing about the show is this, Jerry, that in the United States, as you know, the markets are all fragmented. Like a New York market has New York stations in it, but because Sirius is a sub, uh, it's a satellite radio, and it is you have the subscription, you have to pay to it. It covers the whole country. So people say you have a nice easy job. Yeah, I have a nice easy job. The problem problem is this, right? That I can, the first call I get in the morning, you know, I say, okay, and we go to Chip in Ohio. Chip, what would you like to talk about? Well, he said, I want to know what you thought of what happened in the couple of the Bertadores final last night with Bucket Juniors and River Plate. And I'm saying to myself, oh no. <laughs> I'm after watching eight games in the Champions League and this guy wants to talk about the couple of Bertadores. And that's the problem because we have everybody from every country in the world in America and because of Sirius being the station it is, we get calls about every every yes. conceivable game you could imagine. And you have to take them on, of course, when they, they come on and ask you the question. You and have to be nice, do your Jerry. Best, you don't yeah. have to take them on. Uh, you have to be nice to yeah, I know, them. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> nice, nice is the word, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. But here, t- Rodney Marsh, you mentioned, you, you work with Rodney. And I was saying to you just a few moments ago before we put up the microphones here, I was in the Lourdes Stadium in my short pants, Trasa, when uh, Rodney Marsh played, I think it was for Cork Hibernians. He played. Was it Hibernians You're he played right. for yeah. against Drogheda here That's in a right. cup match? That's right. Now, you have a little story about that, don't you? Yeah, because when Rodney came over here to play, he was advised that Mr. Duggan, who was the owner of running Cork Hibernians, you know, was one of those guys that would, you know, you had to make sure you got paid. So Rodney said, you know, Mr. Duggan, before I go out on the field, I have to get paid. And Duggan said, ah, no problem, Rodney, no problem, he said. So Rodney went into the dressing room, got dressed to play, and he still hadn't seen any sign of Duggan. With about 15 minutes to go, Duggan comes into the room, and Rodney said, Mr. Duggan, what about the moolah? And Duggan said, I'll be right back, Rodney. He said, no problem. Rodney said, two minutes later, he comes back in the door, and at that time, there was punts in Ireland, and he had a brown paper bag, and he had 500 single punts in the bag that he was after it was after being collected at the gate and Rodney said what am I going to do with it so he said I still wasn't paid before the game because I had to give the money back to Duggan you know smart Cork oh, oh yeah. great oh Trash said the Cork people you couldn't be after them could oh, you, you couldn't be after them that's for sure God bless them all <laughs> now you're home um, for a little while at the stage but you were telling me when we were in touch before Christmas you hadn't been home to Cork for a while well, I hadn't been home for Christmas right? and didn't spend it in Cork for a long time. Since I met Tommy, I suppose. What is really? It? 40 years, yes. Oh, this was a real special visit it then this time, wasn't it? It was a special business at Christmas time, yes. But I have been home to... For her, yes. yeah. For, yeah. for, for, for <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Did it kill a loud man to spend a few days below? Well, you know, I'd always spent, since I met Tommy, um, uh, Christmas in Louth, and it was my turn to spend it at home Absolutely. with my family in, in Cove and Cork at the coffees. We had a great time. Yeah. Fantastic. I've, I'm one of ten, Jerry, and we had a fantastic time in Cork. And all of you there, the ten of you? Well, most of us. Yes. Uh, one sister in Amsterdam, uh, okay. Louise. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. but the rest. Isn't that yeah, wonderful? Fantastic time. So yeah. he just had to, you know. Yeah, they accepted him, but it took him a while. <laughs> I, I, paint, I painted a smile on my face before I went down. Yeah, you've had your stint here in Knockbridge since, True. haven't you? Yeah, yeah and yeah. caught up with everybody. Yeah, else. and we came back up. We've had we've had a great time. We're going to the restaurant on dock tonight. Do you have any other? Oh, listen, don't ask me. Keep your money in your pocket. You know that horse? I love that horse. Keep yeah. your money in your pocket. Yeah, that's the one. That's, that's the, the one for me, Tommy. Yeah. Anyway, I'm no use. I'm the worst in the world. Listen, anybody listening today has a tip for Tommy for Dundalk tonight. 86 <laughs> WhatsApp or text us or call in on 1850-715-958. Back to you and this wonderful show that, of course, Tommy's been involved with for years. Ireland calls. Congratulations. You are the longest running Irish music show in the States. Yes, and I love it. Ireland <laughs> calls. And you can hear it all over the world now. It can be heard at 11 uh, p.m. on a Saturday evening. I do uh, music, news, interviews from anyone all over the world. Love it. Mostly Irish, Irish American, and anyone that have Irish roots, uh, I interview them. A music, a lot of music people come on to me. A lot of musicians, writers, everything. Yeah, I've seen that you have a lovely mix uh, I do all have of a the mix. time between guests and music and yes, different yes, uh, yes. different people from all over. The other thing is this: like ourselves, no less, or any radio station yes. in the world, the opening up of the world with online you know and people able to get it on apps and listening on computers and everything yeah. has brought a whole you to a whole new audience hasn't it a whole new audience on Twitter social media yes. it's absolutely fantastic and I link on to Tommy's 70,000 Twitter things and help him <laughs> he puts it up so everyone knows it's fantastic I'm looking across the desk here at that how many 70,000 following yeah. him yeah. yeah on Twitter something like that yeah. isn't that just massive yeah, it's, I mean, that's one of the things I always used to say, like when, when Twitter came first, I, you know, I always made a laugh of it on ESPN. Anybody who ever watched Press Pass would know that I'd call them tweets and twats and Twitters and <laughs> everything else. By the time the, by the time the night was over, I had people so confused that they thought I absolutely knew nothing about it. <laughs> but in the end, they forced me to go on to it. Mm. And the first, the first hour I was on, I had 14,000 followers. Wow. <laughs> it just shows you the amount of people who listen to you, who follow you, who hang on every word as well. And, and, and for and you, Trasa. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Trasa, for you too. Like, yes. This started, Ireland Calls, New York, New Jersey and Connecticut, really, wasn't That's it? That's right. The... Tommy started it back yes. in 1969. Yeah. He, he started it. Yeah, it's oh nearly 40 years. Oh, that is. It's absolutely fantastic. 50. And it 50. has been... Yeah, that's right. 50. 50 oh my goodness. Nearly 50. And it's been on the air every week all those years. Even yes. when I came to Ireland on my holidays or vacation, as the anchor would say, I would tape the programme here and send it back. And she has kept on the tradition. She's doing the same tomorrow night. Now I will call in the news and she will call in the news tomorrow night from Ireland. Yes. So you never, ever let it drop. It's been no, continuous. Yeah. It's been continuous. Yeah. And I love it. 
and everyone all over the world is really reaching out to us now with the social media mm. and we're looking on to hopefully the new year now podcast folks oh, we're going to start our podcasting stepping up <laughs> stepping up a little notch she doesn't know where she's we've read all the books mentor. now we're going to get out <laughs> there let me so. tell you <laughs> you listen to him you really whisper in listen to him there. oh my god yeah, she I won't take advice <laughs> <laughs> no I always do <laughs> tell us about you know the uh, America today and the diaspora because you're there and I, I, I'll never forget I'm going to tell you this you two this the last time you were here and you talking about leaving Ireland and going to the airport and on that plane that made a huge impression on me that stays with me always but you're there a long time in America and when you went of course communications were primitive enough and we talked look at what you're talking about now touching Mm. all these people all over the world is it Less significant now for the diaspora, you know, the the connection on the ground in the States, con- considering they have the connectivity back home and to family and that here. Well, there's three connections, Jerry. OK. There's the connection of the older folks like myself. Yes. There's the connection of the newer folks, which is completely different. And then there's the connection of the Irish American who in most cases nowadays, you could probably say an awful lot of the Irish Americans like it or dislike it, are more Irish than the Irish themselves because they've adopted so much of the Irish way of life and they want to be so much part of the Irish way of life. The younger Irish today, they have their own circle, they have their own way of doing things, just like the rest of the world. I mean, everything has changed. I mean, nobody knows it better than somebody covering soccer when you see what happened with soccer. And I always say the communities are the same because soccer and sports always reflect what's going on in the communities. But the one thing that you can always be assured of in New York, and there is one thing that stands out in my mind, and I would defy anybody to have a go at me over it, and that is if you're in trouble and you're Irish and you put the call out, by God, there will be an army there. Unbelievable. The amount of money that's raised for charitable events in New York by the Irish community the Irish American or the American Irish caller, which you want to. It's unbelievable. I mean... W- we are much more in touch with our country, probably less talking done, even though it looks like there's more talking done because of all its FaceTime and it's this and it's that and there's a million different things. And when you, you know, people just say to me, what's the biggest thing? And I always love to tell this story because especially now it's it just, it, it, it comes home to roost. When I was in America first in 1963, a phone call to my mother in Knockbridge was three days. And people say, what? Three days? How could it be three days? The first day I had to call Tom McNamee's pub and say, Tom, I I want to get my mother on the phone. And I couldn't say, have her there tomorrow because she mightn't see her. So I would say, would you have Julia Smith there on Wednesday at three o'clock? And I would call. And I would do. I would call. It was $5 a minute to call Ireland from New York at that time. Now, $5 a minute, that was a lot of money that time. You know, so that was the biggest thing. And then, you know, Americans always say, but you must have been really cheap, boy. You wouldn't buy your mother a phone. I would have bought my mother a phone, but there was a seven-year waiting list to get on the phone. <laughs> and people say, why? And I say, well, they'd have to come outside of your house and dig a hole and stick a pole in it and run a wire to the next one. And that's the way the phone went. Now you have lads in the toilet. Where are you now? I'm in the bog. How's it going? I mean, 
<laughs> and you know, I can it's, verify that because yeah. I worked for the P&T and Telecom and he's 100% right. There was a seven-year waiting list even into the 70s and into the 80s for telephones. Yep. Yeah. And that's a fact. My God, you put it in perspective, Tommy Smith. Cost. But you know the one thing you tell me, which is great to hear? Transcends the generations. Trouble, problems, difficulties, all in to help. Oh, yeah. All in. Regardless. Yeah, and like she's part and parcel of it. I mean, if you listen to her show at night time, I'll let her talk. She does a community bulletin board and go ahead. I do. I advertise all the local events that's happening within the GAA. It's, it's going great over there in New York or the local county associations and I have the presidents on, all the people that are upcoming events, upco- upcoming fundraisers for wh- whomever is sick, whoever needs it. Yes, it's, it's absolutely a great uh, community over in New York. It's a big family really. Yes. Uh, this year actually I just, in May, I just got involved with a new club. Actually it's 10 years old but we're calling it the new club, the new GAA club called Shannon Gales. And they had no camogie in the um, in the club at all. They had Gaelic football and hurling, uh, everything else, and camps and whatever. But I got involved, and they've they've been after me for three years to come because I love camogie. Anybody that knows me knows I love camogie. And uh, we started a new camogie club in Shannon Gales in Queens, and encouraging. And everybody's playing, not just the Irish, Irish American. It's multicultural. Now, Are you Spanish. back playing? I'm back coaching. I became a, coaching. a coach. <laughs> this year <laughs> had to go back so you're New back out there on the I'm pitch I'm back out there on the pitch good man Tommy great to hear yourself and Trassa on the airwaves keep the Knockbridge flag flying uh, from uh, Mary in Kalani this afternoon come on the town keep the messages coming to us 086-1800-658 Tommy and Trassa Smith all the way from New York City are with us on late lunch now the parade just <laughs> mentioned St. Patrick's Day parade yeah. on 5th Avenue and you just think the Smiths Tommy and Trassa you're involved yes and continually involved and continue to be I continue to be involved this year will be my 12th year commentating in the St. Patrick's Day Parade and since Tommy's got involved in 92 I have uh, done all the research for the parade it's wonderful learning about the groups when they walk up the avenue the counties the presidents and chatting about the history of all the different associations it's a great day to be Irish it really is it's kind of a well-kept secret I'm actually the president of the St. Patrick's Day Parade in New York which is you know it's I mean it's a lovely honour and uh, it's you know, people say the St. Patrick's Day Parade in New York, explain it. There is no logical explanation for the St. Patrick's Day Parade in New York. I mean, it starts at 11 o'clock, it finishes at half four. People march up and march up the avenue all day. There's no floats in the parade. It's just the day, as John Dunleavy, the former president of the parade, used to say, when Irish people come out, we put on our best suit, we stick our chest out and we walk up the avenue and say, hey, we're here and we're here to stay. We're not going anywhere. We're going to be here for the rest of your lives. So, you know, join us and have a great day. And basically, that's what it is. Like, this will be my 30th Oh, God, I don't want to say that. <laughs> 30th year on television announcing this match with Deborah. And he hasn't changed a bit. I'll no. tell you, the, the same Tommy and the same Tommy absolutely within and in personality and everything. I was there one year. I had the privilege. I was there with the King's Court Band who had the oh, honour yeah. that year of actually yeah, there, yeah. leading it yeah. off. You yeah, know, And it was yeah. a very special time to be there. Oh, and yeah. I'll never forget it. I'll never forget the bloody cold as well. The year <laughs> I was there. Oh, it is quite cold. <laughs> oh, it is. You'd hate to be there in the winter. Oh. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> That's the spring. <laughs> you obviously, and I, I know this, coming home to Cork for the first time Christmas and many a day and home at any stage yourself as well to the County, 
it's special, isn't it? It's hard to, you know, I can't understand it. Only you people do. How do you put it in context? Well, I mean, it's a case of you're coming home and, you know, uh, the first thing you want to see is your family. I mean, obviously, you miss your family when you're away. I mean, obviously, we've made our life in New York now. Well, one of us has, anyhow. Uh, one of us considers New York home. <laughs> I've been there for so long. And, uh, you know, you want to come home and you want to see everybody. And, you know, it, it's bittersweet. Then you go back and you're, you know, it, when you're there, you miss this. And when you're here, you miss that. And it's 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 a very fine balance when you once you leave, once you cut the string, it's like cutting the umbilical cord first. It's a complete difference, you know. There's always things that I'm going to miss when I'm in New York, and there's always things I'm going to miss when I'm in Ireland. So you know, you have yes. to balance it. Do you ever consider slowing down? You know, because you're busy, I, busy, I mean, and you've always been busy. I'm at a crawl right now, Jerry. <laughs> I mean, if I was, uh, you know, on one of those things on the, the car. I mean, people say to me, what do you do on the weekends now? Well, just to give you an example now, I'll just run something here, trivia. The 1st of uh, February, I have the United Irish Counties banquet. I'm emceeing it. That's all the counties get together, about 600 people. The next night is the GA banquet probably another 600 people and the following Saturday night then is the New York Minor Board Banquet which is over a thousand kids these are all the kids that are playing football now and kids that are producing unbelievable players that come to Ireland and they win the Fela which is unbelievable that a bunch of young New Yorkers can come over mm, here yeah. and beat you know the locals at their own yes. game so I mean I suppose the day I slow down Jerry, you know you'll be saying mm-mm Goodbye. <laughs> Hasta la vista, baby. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I don't want to cause a rift here between... No. Uh, I, I know I never Yeah, you're getting very no. close. To uh, well, <laughs> I'm going to teeter on the brink here for yeah. a minute. Okay. Would you ever consider at some stage down the road of coming home for good? Or is New York it? Coming home, yes, definitely. Uh, my heart is in Ireland. I always has been in You'd Ireland. You'd come back here, I'd come ultimately. back for a few well, months every year, I would, definitely. <laughs> I'm going to describe this. The other ones beside her here playing the violin. <laughs> Do you know the imaginary violin? <laughs> yeah, it's like an old woman. I, I am a nurse for many years. Yeah. And I used to look after this old Irish woman. She says, you know, when you're in, in New York, you want to be there. And when you're mm. there, you want to be mm. here. So mm. that's what it's kind of like. Mm. But so so perhaps a marriage of both, you know. Yes. Uh, you know, that's perhaps something. Well, that I mean, when you come from Knockbridge, there's always a place to come back. I mean, <laughs> we are the cultural capital of the world. So, I yeah. mean, <laughs> if you don't, if you wouldn't make a choice to come back to Knockbridge, you wouldn't go anywhere. Or Coven Cock. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> other red and white county. At, at some point, Jerry, at some point, yeah. At some point, you would say, yeah. You know, the one the one thing that would the one thing that bothers you when you come home is that in and, and I know I sound like I'm an old yank now, but I'm not. Uh, is the dampness? You know, you mm. get used to the mm. how dry America is, and your system gets used to it. That when you do come home, you feel the dampness. But you know, this will always be home. I mean. Yes. New York is home, but this will be home too. Yes. I have it figured out. You see, you? Cove is way down south, yeah. as you know. We're not far from Knockbridge where we are here. So, yeah, that's true. Uh, Port Leash or, you know, around there, you know. Yeah, yeah, halfway. But we have our home in Knockbridge. We really we have, have home. Folks, seriously, York we have our home so. in Knockbridge and we do love it yes, when absolutely. we come home. The time just flies. I know. And I know, all, I know it does. They're all down there listening. Before we finish, yeah, obviously, yeah. everyone's eyes are on the States with 2020 and the election as well. And Trump I'm not running, so I'm not talking. 
Okay. I'm not running. I'm not, running, I'm not talking. <laughs> it's that simple. Oh my God Almighty! <laughs> what do you think? It, 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 it looks like he's going to get another shot at it, doesn't it? Yeah, really. Yeah, if he survives that long, he will get a shot at yeah. it, and so, he will. He he will probably. He probably will win. I mean, not a lot of people don't realise like. The reason why I say he probably will win is that he lost the last election by about three million and he's still president. So why wouldn't he win again? <laughs> well, that's, that's a pretty... Yeah. Some figure that one out, you buy, you know. That's a Lock Bridge one, so it is. Hold on, I'm, I'm trying to figure out a load of messages here that are oh, coming okay. in for you too that I want to read before you leave us. Okay. Uh, coming to us on WhatsApp today, a big hello to Tommy and Trasa from Shane and Linda Lennon, listening to you on the radio on the way to Knightsbrook for the night. Come on, the brides we have with that <laughs> there one there. Go. Good the man, Tommy. Great to hear you, Trasa. Keep the Knockbridge flag flying. That comes in from the Marys in Kalani. Hi, Jerry. Say hello to Tommy from me. I was uh, showing up in in Kilcarley to him. Uh, I was shouting up Kilcarley to him during the St. Patrick's Day parade last March. Up Kilcarley. He probably never heard you. Good to hear his voice along with Trassa. I spoke to him uh, at MSG when he gave a shout out to my brother Derek McKenna, the boxing All Ireland champion. Oh, Nigel McKenna. Nigel That's McKenna. Nigel. Nigel. Yeah, yeah. Nigel. I remember. Hello. I remember that night. Do you remember, I remember Nigel? that night? Yeah, yeah giving a yeah, shout. Yeah, I'll tell you the story about that night. Right, okay. I was down to do a charity event. Right, and uh, what do you call him? John Duddy was fighting. Right, and I was supposed <laughs> to introduce John Duddy, and I introduced him. Right, the band came in with John Duddy, and I said I got to run to the bathroom. Right, I ran to the bathroom, and as I was in the bathroom, Bathroom, I heard a huge cheer, right? And I came back out and everybody was running out. I said, what happened? Duddy knocked him out in the next 60 seconds. I never saw the fight. <laughs> <laughs> Swear to God, that's never the gospel truth. There must be no end to the stories in your house night, noon and morning oh, from this fella. Great stories. Oh, he's great a great stories. man. Yeah, that was Madison Square Garden Nigel was that's on right, about when Nigel, he gave a yeah. sh- shout out to Derek McKenna, uh, boxing right. uh, the All-Ireland champ. Thank you, Nigel. Lovely to hear from you. Happy New Year to yourself and your family as well. Tip for Tommy. I told you, I told you, our listeners. <laughs> the, the never let us down. Yeah. Tip for Tommy. The 8 o'clock race tonight. No, Doc, I'll give it to you anyway. Ragtime Red Top. So, the, you know, the Red Top yeah, newspapers. Yeah. Yeah. Ragtime Red Top. Rachel Blackmore is on oh, board yeah. and the listener says, that's your one for tonight, Tommy. Ragtime oh. Red Top. 8 okay. o'clock in the Thank, thank, thank you, you very much. Thank you. Whoever sent that in yeah. to us. Well, you know what? It's just been a blast to it's have you with me again on the show. I was so looking forward to this. Me all, too. All we, over we, the holidays. We were looking we, we forward to it. We made sure that we wanted to be here and we wanted to be part of your show and we wanted to say hello to everybody and wish them all a very, very happy. And I hope that this new year is going to be the best one you ever had, believe me. And that goes for you and your family as well, Jerry. From our family to your family, yes, have a great one. Indeed. And I have to give a shout out to my daughter, our daughter, Lisa. She's listening at home in Knockbridge and so is Marion listening with on Colm and Patsy the whole lot and Harry they're all listening to us over in Knockbridge and thank them so much it's wonderful to be home let's make a date don't leave it as long again till you, you come Jared. calling to late lunch it's been an absolute pre- pleasure I wish you health and happiness and all the very best for 2020 keep on entertaining us from the other side <laughs> of that big ocean and thank you again to Tommy and Trassa Smith for joining me on late lunch today thank you thank you Jerry. it's been a pleasure did you know this? Well, this came as a surprise to me, folks, I have to tell you. That India is the biggest consumer of the world's whiskey. Incredible. I would never have thought so. 
Killian Mulligan is one of four Jemison ambassadors from County Louth, who's based in India, and he joins me now because, you see, he's home for the annual Global Ambassador Summit. Killian, you're very welcome to Late Lunch. How's it going, Jerry? How are you? You stole my opening line. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Why? Only joking. How are you? I, 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 I don't mean to steal guests' <laughs> opening lines. Anyway, I'm very well. Thank you so much for dropping in to us. Thanks for having and me. And I only Jay. met this guy a couple of moments ago, and I know why he's a salesman. I know you're an ambassador, but your job is to sell, isn't it? It's a bit of both, Jerry. I'm basically the middleman between the marketing and the sales guys. So I'm 23 years old. Uh, my name's Killian Mulligan, as you said. I'm a Kilkerly man, like I told you. Uh, I went to school in the De La Salle, so I'm homegrown. I went over to college in Galway and uh, studied international commerce in NUIG, uh, specialised in marketing in my final year. And I suppose that's what took me on to this Jemison graduate programme. Um, basically, it's the number one graduate employer in fast-moving consumer goods. Uh, so it's the it's the holy grail when you come out of college, if, if you will. Um, so basically, I've been in Mumbai for the last five months. Uh, and for the year before that, I was in Bangalore in South India. So I've been there uh, almost two years. Uh, absolutely loving it over there. It's a beautiful place, a crazy place. As you said, it's, it's very hectic and busy, but... Uh, has a bit of everything over there, so I'm really loving it. So explain again what your job is. What do you actually do on the ground in India? Sure. So I suppose at the heart of the graduate programme is all about building brand awareness around Jemison. Also building what we'll call brand advocacy, which is love and loyalty for the brand. So uh, I suppose on the ground in Jemison, my job would be... Uh, very different in India than someone who might be in uh, in Bulgaria or in Thailand or in just taking Loud for an example. As you said, there's four of us uh, on on the program from Loud. I think it's a record. Uh, there's myself who's in Mumbai, a childhood friend of mine, Paul Kelly, who's in South India in Bangalore. So he took over my role. There's two Dundalk men over there, uh, and then some of your listeners might know Emma Walsh as well. She's from Dundalk. She's uh, over in Bulgaria. So her job would be very different than mine. She's in her second year of the program, and she's actually a DKIT graduate. So she's the first from DKIT and then uh, we have someone from Drod as well David O'Boyle he's a real character uh, he studied drama and he's in his third year of the programme he's done two years in Thailand and a year in Poland now well, I suppose back to your question what do we do on the ground uh, it's it's all very different it's it in a stage one market, which is like India, where Jemison is tiny, we're only there about 10 years, but we're growing year on year. Uh, it's all about education, education, education. So a lot of people know about scotch over there, but they don't know what the hell is Irish whiskey. So a lot of my job is out training bartenders, uh, training consumers, or hosting whiskey tastings, or I get to do some fun stuff. I get behind the bar, sometimes do cocktail bar takeovers. Or recently, we just had our biggest event of the year uh, we, in the Northwest, in Rajasthan, in India, in the desert. They have this huge festival called Magnetic Fields. It's like India's uh, answer to Burning Man or Coachella. And basically, we were the only whiskey pour in there. We took 50 of our biggest trade partners from all around India, and we hosted them for the weekend at this festival. So that's the fun side of the job as well. So you, you get, hopefully I explained... Uh, oh yes, exactly. absolutely. Yeah. I understand what you're doing. So you're building brand awareness, number one for for Jemison out there, of course. Exactly. But an awareness as well of Irish whiskey, because a lot of people have a perception that when you say whiskey, it's Scotch. Exactly. But look at the way in Ireland. Don't have to tell you the the number of new whiskies and the evolving whiskey. Uh, distilling business that's on the way here in, in the next 10, 20 years. Exactly. We'd say it's, it's a, we're currently in a renaissance of Irish whiskey. So it's growing year on year. Um, Jemison is actually the, the one that's led that for, for the Irish whiskey. And uh, in India, basically, uh, we're only there 10 years, so we're quite new. But as you rightly say, when 
as uh, you said in your opening statement, 49% of all the world's whiskey is drank in India. It's the mm. biggest uh, country uh, consumer of whiskey in the world. I couldn't believe it when I heard <laughs> it. But most of that 49% whiskey, Jerry, that they're drinking is local whiskey. It's made locally in India. So it's, it's of lesser quality. It's a little bit cheaper. But the population is huge, obviously, in India. There's 1.3 billion people and it's growing year on year. So well, actually... Uh, on a good, in a good way, the economy is also growing in India, and actually, uh, the middle class is growing. So, for a long time, it was extreme poverty and extreme wealth in India, but now the middle class is growing, and now people are switching over from their local whiskey. And my job is traditionally they would switch over to a Scotch. My job is now to get them to switch over and try an Irish whiskey. That's interesting because we all many people would know of the caste system in India and when you're exactly. born in the in the lowest caste it's very hard to, to you know to move up in society but you you're saying that's changing in the country yeah. and, and that would obviously be a factor in purchasing power for people you know to have some disposable income because that's what goes on on a whiskey exactly yeah so as i said the middle class is growing the spending power is growing and people uh, it used to be just only five star luxury in india now there's everything you if you go to london paris dublin uh Mumbai, where I am based, it's basically like the New York of India. That's what they call it. It's where Bollywood is. And you'll have all types of outlets, not just five stars. Uh, some of the top 50 uh, restaurants and bars in Asia are actually based in Mumbai. So the food's amazing. The drink's amazing. So, uh, yeah, I'm really enjoying it over there. Now, you can talk. <laughs> I'm sure many people have said that to you. It's been said to me yeah. a few times as well. But look, you do. You have the gift of the gab, obviously. You do your qualification in Galway. And you go on to this programme. Did you ever expect your you know, career would head in this direction? So in my last two years in college, I obviously I specialised in marketing. And when you go to the careers fair in Galway and NUIG or any college, you see the show Jemison put on. It's all anyone's talking about. Um, basically, like, I just would have done anything to get on the programme. It's the only programme that I that I went for um, and to see my career go in the next two years, the career progression opportunities are massive also. So since 1991, the programme's been running. Jemison has experienced 30 years consecutive growth uh, since then around the world. So there's been over 380 people who have finished the programme uh, since 1991 and 30% of them are uh, still working within uh, Irish distillers within Jemison so you can be working around the, uh, the world Jemison is part of a wider group called Pernod Ricard yes. so uh, that's uh, absolute vodka people might know or beef eater gin so you can actually work in Ireland and work on Jemison or you can work abroad uh, be a brand manager which a lot of people do in the US uh, so the career progression opportunities are massive uh, and that's why a lot of people get into it That's a high level of uh, numbers staying with Exactly. With it as well, you mentioned there. <laughs> this yeah. message has come in for for you on WhatsApp just <laughs> now to us. It says, "Hi, Jerry. A big well done to Killian Mulligan on all his success. He once gave me the lend of a shirt to wear on a night out when my own was out soaking <laughs> wet on the line." That comes in from Davy C. Do you know Davy C? Davy C. I, it sounds like one of my friends. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a, I think it's a bit of a private joke there. Yeah. I know. I know. <laughs> this one is a good sort. Of exactly. course, he'd help anybody out that that, that needed a shirt. 
out for, for a night out. Or a Talk bottle of whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Talk to me a bit about India itself. And you've experienced, you were down south first, you're in a different part of India now. From what I'm told, I've never been. It's supposed to be just the most remarkable place. Uh, you'll have to head over, Jerry. sometimes visit. Um, basically, one of my former colleagues, Kieran Hanton from Dublin, he told me something when I arrived. India will make you cry once when you arrive and twice when you leave. So I think what he meant by that, you know, it's hectic, uh, it's noisy, there's a lot of traffic when you first arrive. Once you get settled in, honestly, the people are absolutely amazing. They're a lot like Irish people, very friendly, very warm people. And the landscape is something else. When we think of India, I know even before I went over, I thought about 40 degrees heat, humidity, busy cities. India has everything. You can go skiing at the, at the minute in North India. You can go trekking around the Himalayan mountains. Uh, I just came back from Goa a few weeks ago. A lot of people might have heard of Goa. It's beautiful. Some of the best beaches in Asia. Um, and we, we actually had one of the brand ambassadors from Dubai, Shane Dempsey. Some of your, uh, he played uh, inter-county with Westmead and St. Loman. Some of your listeners might know him. Oh, well-known lad. Yeah, exactly. Well-known Gaelic footballer. Great footballer, yeah. yeah. So he's a brand ambassador in Dubai and uh, he came to visit us in Goa. We had a great uh, weekend showing him the the treasures of uh, Goa. <laughs> when you go there first, of course, it's a completely different society to here, but you say there's many similarities as well. Settling in, what about the food? The eating what the locals are eating? So, so Delhi Belly, I've been told, is a concept for a reason. I've only been sick once in a year and a half. Uh, it was just a regular bug, bug that you'd pick up. That here. anyone really would get, yes, it, anywhere. Exactly, yeah. So if you're eating in... Uh, Decent restaurants and bars. Honestly, the food is amazing. I, I told that to Paul, the guy from the Avenue Road, my colleague who came over. His favourite is butter chicken. It's mine as well. It's absolutely amazing. Do you eat Indian food yourself, Jerry? Uh, it wouldn't be my number one. I have eaten and, and yeah. I have from time to time. You know what I mean? But you know in Ireland yourself, if you're looking for a takeaway, it's probably more Chinese, Chinese you go exactly, for here. Yeah. But the Indian restaurants do well. They have a big following here and I understand that as well. And... Uh, there was a beautiful restaurant in Navin, Copper and Spices. I was there a couple of times. Indian as well. Absolutely beautiful food. And I have to say that. But I'd love to go to India sometime. I really would. Come over and visit me, Jerry. And anyone even who's thinking of it. Yeah, you're all invited. Uh, it, it honestly is an amazing country. Um, I know India does get a lot of bad press, but I think it's the fear of the unknown some of the times. Yes. And once you come over, I actually I got my mom and dad a, a little Christmas present this year to come over and visit me uh, in the summer. So they're a little bit apprehensive, but uh, I, I'm sure they're going to love it once they get over. God, they know you in LMFM land oh, for that? sure. Here's another message. Uh, come WhatsApp 086-1800-658 if you want to send this for a message. You can text that number as well. Killian Mulligan is a credit to himself and his family, says Frank. Uh, I knew him since he captained Dundalk's milk cup side at underage level. Is that true? That's true, yeah, brilliant. Hey, <laughs> this boy could play ball as well. Everyone knew him as the Richard Dunn of the side. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't much of a footballer, but I could have... Were you centre-half? I could, I could head away, I was a centre-half. Oh, listen, when I tell you, centre-halves just have to be able to do that. There's clubs called Arsenal. Do you know a club called Arsenal? I know they Arsenal don't well. have anybody that can do that exactly. and haven't had anybody that <laughs> can do that for years. Yeah. So don't knock it. It's nice to be compared to Richard Dunn. It's By not bad, God, yeah. He was a great defender. I've seen him in Thank Russia you, one Frank. night. Thank you, Thanks Frank. Thank you, Frank. So listen, hey, you are a handy footballer. You must be delighted uh, from afar with the success and Dundalk have had in recent years yeah, as well. Yeah, it's been brilliant. Unbelievable, isn't yeah. it? I played up with Dundalk until under 18. And Did then you? I switched over to the Gaelic. Uh, my claim to fame, I won an intermediate championship in 2015 against the Clans as a dodgy young cornerback. But, uh, Who were you playing for? 
Uh, Kilcarely. All oh, right, Kilcarely, yeah, where yeah, you yeah. come from, yes. So, okay. uh, so he's an Emmett's man as well. But I've been yeah. travelling since then, yes. Yeah, so. yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you get home, the part of the of the deal is that you get home a number of times during exactly, the year? Exactly, yeah. I come home about twice a year. Uh, actually, this year I was home three times. Uh, so the Global Ambassador Summit is where all of the uh, ambassadors from around the world meet up. It's actually on this Monday. So I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, last year, actually, now we're talking about sports. The whole uh, emphasis was on health and well-being. So uh, we, they took us in for cooking workshops. They taught us how to cook. They taught us how to uh, look after ourselves. That's something that I find important coming from a footballing team. And a, When you go over summer new, uh, it's important to look after yourself. So I picked up some new hobbies. I joined a five-a-side team. I'm... Uh, started uh, jiu-jitsu and different fight classes and even started a bit of surfing. You wouldn't get too much surfing in Kilcarely. <laughs> that's for sure. Are you accepted as a Westerner in India? You know, because obviously you stand out, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm a bit fair, like yourself, sure, <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah, you are, definitely. It's a very, uh, it's, I always find it a very, very welcoming and safe country. They're very open to Westerners coming in and they Open to le- they're open into learning about Irish whiskey and, and scotch and all anything that you can they can pick up education is absolutely huge in India that's the number one thing that they feel that can get them out of you know poverty or the caste system mm. so if you can teach them any little bit about whiskey or anything they're absolutely delighted they're only delighted to see you Will you sit there for another minute I have a little break to take and I want you to teach me about whiskey in a moment isn't he a great guy I'm so Brilliant. enjoying chatting to him Killian Mulligan is with us on late lunch this Friday afternoon Killian Mulligan from Kilcarely is a global ambassador for Jemison and he's based in India and he's home for a conference and he's with us on late lunch. Okay, so let's let's cut to the chase here. Drop a whiskey in a glass. How should I drink it? So we'll say drink it whatever way you want, Jerry, right? Whatever way you enjoy it. The best way to drink whiskey is probably neat, right? To get the most flavour. But if you're not used to drinking neat whiskey, if you don't drink it every couple of days or at least every week, it's probably too high of a percentage of alcohol. So what you need to do is cut it with a little bit of water. So if you have one part whiskey, one part water, the percentage of alcohol will come down from 40% to 20%. It'll open up a lot of the notes, a lot of the flavours. Some people like to add ice as well. Ice is nice for a refreshment and to chill it. It will actually it'll dull the flavours a little bit. But if that's how you like to drink it, go ahead. I'm not who am I to say? But honestly, from a connoisseur's point of view or somebody, it's just on its own neat is the best way at room temperature. Yeah, exactly. At room temperature, neat, um, just basically uh, you go through, have a look at the colour first, give it a nose, small sip, uh, and then the second sip you'll get the flavour. So not big gulps, you're not shooting it down, just getting the flavour in there. And we always say, and we, we have our, our wine expert, Rick Cronje, joins me each month here as well. We always say alcohol in moderation exactly. and not over the top to be enjoyed. I want to emphasise that again in any context we talk about it. Exactly. I'm afraid to tell you this. I'm going to turn under the desk here. I'm going to hide because you'll probably fire something at me. I find it hard to drink it like that. And I, I don't drink it, only from time to time. And uh, I've never had the water in it. But I remember my father, my late father, with the bottle of Guinness and the drop of whiskey and a little drop of water beside them and, and they, they drank that brilliant I put <laughs> Coca-Cola oh into Jerry <laughs> no. I'm ashamed to say it here today no Jerry is that desecration to be honest it is killing the taste of the whiskey but what a lot of people are drinking now with Jameson a glass full of ice a little drop of Jameson top it up with ginger ale and a squeeze of lime so that was 
Coca-Cola is very uh, overpowering, right? It's masking sweet. the taste of it. It's sweet. It's masking the taste of the whiskey. Whereas ginger ale with Jemison, it sort of lifts the, the flavour of the whiskey. It's quite light and bubbly still. So what part to part? You mentioned it a moment ago. How much whiskey to ginger ale? You do one part whiskey to three parts ginger ale. And yeah. a squeeze of... A squeeze of lime on top. So that will balance the sweetness of the ginger ale. And yeah? icing it? Icing it as well, yeah. So that's your summer drink, your festival drink. I have to give that a go. Yeah. So you won't you won't look in shock or horror at me if I if I go down that road. No, no, I'll I'll, I'll make it for you someday, Jerry. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> over in India when you come for your holidays. What's yeah? the weirdest thing you've heard of people putting into whiskey? Uh, there's all sorts of cocktails in in India. Um, people, the cocktail scene is exploding. It's actually it's as good as you would find in Dublin. People would mix it with milk. Yeah, people. Do you know something? You must be telepathic <laughs> yeah. because I was just thinking milkier. No yeah. way. Do yeah, they? so it's like a white Russian, right? Except it's a white Irishman if you mix it milk and a little bit of Irish whiskey. Um, but uh, it's you, you'll find all sorts of things. But uh, yeah, as you say, a little bit of ginger ale, lime. That's what I'll go for because I don't like to drink neat whiskey all the time as well. So, a fellow North Loud man has with his wife established uh, Irish whiskey auctions, and he's been here with me a couple Brilliant. of times. And the business is flying for them. But when he when he tells you of the value of whiskies yeah. that are you know five, ten, fifteen, twenty years old and special editions. There's a lot of bucks in this business if you keep it a while, isn't there? There really is. And the Irish whiskey industry, as I said, it's booming. At, at one stage, there was just three uh, distilleries in Ireland in the 1800s. Um, basically, Irish whiskey is on the up since the 80s. There's now almost 1,500 distilleries in Ireland. And it's growing year on year. So actually, uh, Jemison and Irish distillers are who makes Jemison, they also make Powers. You told me about Middleton. They also make Middleton and Redbreast. Um, so Irish Distillers actually goes and helps these new up-and-coming distilleries because what we'll say is a rising tide lifts all boats. And if Irish whiskey is is uh, coming up together, then we'll all have a good name and we'll be known for quality. Let's leave it at that. But before we do, more comments. You're a oh, popular brilliant. guy. Listen to this. <laughs> Nothing like a hot jemmy. A hot jemmy on Christmas morning. So proud of you, Killian, from all your cousins who are listening today. Brilliant. Is he still at the bodybuilding? I think he did. <laughs> are you still doing the bodybuilding? No, it doesn't look like it, Jerry, does it? <laughs> But it, he looks fine to me without the <laughs> bodybuilding. It's great listening to both of you on the radio, says another WhatsApper there. You know what? You're a top fella. Continued success to you uh, in India. And thank you for joining me. Thanks very much, Jerry. Just before I go, if uh, the Jemison Graduate Programme is something that interested you, it doesn't matter if you didn't study marketing in uh, college. We have people from all walks of life, uh, people who studied law, people who stu- studied culinary arts. It doesn't mar- matter if you don't have a second language. I myself don't have a second language although it is an advantage just get on to jemisongraduateprogram.com uh, the closing application is on Wednesday 15th of January at 1pm and you have to make a two minute video explaining why you are a serious character so a serious character is someone who's creative Jerry someone who's innovative someone who's a self-starter someone who is has that entrepreneurial spirit and someone who's not afraid of a challenge someone like Killian Murphy <laughs> simple as that brilliant thank you for joining thanks me thanks very wish much wish you Jerry. well thanks a million happy new year 
Foster and Allen at the New Grange Hotel tomorrow night. There's some tickets still available. You can get them from the hotel. Carol Lane doesn't need to get tickets because she's won a pair of tickets on late lunch this afternoon. The answer I was looking for is Thyme. Yes, the song they sang was A Bunch of Thyme. And thanks to everybody who entered the competition. Now, my final guest of the first week of the new year on late lunch. Well, I'll tell you, I met her uh, before Christmas. I think it was back in October. I went to visit the local Quidju breastfeeding group in Drogheda. And Jen Campbell and I had a conversation and then we realised we were sort of related and she says to me I'm a doula and I says Ari and what does a doula do? Well we're going to find out what a doula does this afternoon because Jen Campbell is in the hot seat. You're welcome to Late Lunch. Thank you very much Cherry. Thank you for joining me. What does a doula do? A doula, there's all sorts of doulas um, but basically a doula is a trained non-medical professional who supports another individual be it um, through their pregnancy and birth or following the birth, or sadly sometimes through a bereavement. Um, I myself, are, I'm a postpartum doula, which means I go into the family home once the baby arrives and I help with that transition to parenthood. I hear the cheering in late lunch land <laughs> yes. from all the new parents of babies who are saying, we need you, Jen Campbell. <laughs> but seriously, it mm. is Especially, let's talk about a first baby arriving into a, a, a family. It's yeah. a shock to the system. It is. It really is. Um, it can be really overwhelming. Um, you know, you've got sleepless nights. You've got to understand this new baby, their personality, um, how to feed the baby, what feeding choices you're going to use, um, how to, you know, babies cry, why are they crying? They've got their own language. Um you're recovering from the birth. Um, you've got a total responsibility of this tiny human. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a huge adjustment. And w- without being sexist here, a lot of the responsibility, I know the boys get some more days off now when a baby arrives with the new leave regime yeah. and employers are very good and understanding as well. But at the end of the day, it's the mum it really falls back on for those early months of life. It does. And, you know, um, I suppose that relationship between um, the mother and baby is the basis of all other future relationships. But that doesn't negate the dad, I suppose. Um, If a mum is breastfeeding, well, then she's going to have to be with the baby 100% of the time. Um, But the dad can come in and do other things. And I know that Sometimes I walk into a house and the dad might say, when the mom is having a rest, you know, um, I'd like to learn how to do this or I'd like to learn how to hold the baby. And I make him a cup of tea, sit him down, give him the baby and said, there's your baby, you know, while the mom is resting. So she doesn't know that this has happened and I'm doing his jobs then of folding laundry or whatever is to keep the house going. So, I mean, it's nice to give dads that opportunity to bond with their baby as well otherwise if they don't bond then we're the ones telling them off you know saying yeah you know you don't chip in but they don't know how to chip in if we don't let them yeah but you'd have to say that more and more irish men today are are part and parcel of the early days and months of the child they want to be they're working but they want to be in there as well doing the best they can yeah it's their baby too you know times have changed and they they want to be involved so we have to yeah so come back to you again. You, you baby's born and you're in the home. When mum comes home with the baby as well, at the very uh, start and those early days, you engage with families at that stage or do you often uh, come in maybe a month or two down the road? Or when is the ideal time for a doula to engage with a new mum? It depends. Often someone might um, 
anticipate that they'll need help. Their family is overseas and they want somebody in. Um, so in that case, they'll go looking for a doula before the baby is born. Um, other people might suffer a few weeks in with, um, you know, sleepless nights and stuff mm. and they want somebody in then. Um, and again, sometimes it could be three months down the line when everything, you know, they've hit the wall and, and they can't okay. cope. So it varies for, for, yeah, for families hugely, yeah. when this is some head off on their own and then they realise they need somebody yeah. like you. So you mentioned there, you, you come into the house, you support in every way. So you, you would help with a, a, some cooking, cleaning, anything, t- task around the house. But practically with a baby, you know, say a baby who is... Uh, is not sleeping well, yeah. or, you know, and, and and not in a sleeping pattern or, yeah. uh, per se. Can you help with that? Yeah, I suppose newborns initially, um, they'll sleep a lot um, and they'll probably feed every two hours. So in that time, I can... The best, th- the best tool that you could have for a baby is a sling. So I generally pop a baby in a sling. And once they're in the sling, there's not a peep. They'll go straight asleep and they'll stay asleep because they know that they're safe and secure. They're on you. And in that time, the mum can go asleep and I can be pottering about doing X, Y and Z. Um, but there are other things like I am studying to be a holistic sleep coach, which looks at the whole family dynamic. It looks at... at um, sleep over generations, whether it's genetic and and whatnot. And I can kind of help with gentle strategies, given the developmental stage that the baby's at. You mentioned the sling and sleep. It is the biggest test, I'm sure, for new parents as well. Mm. That whole upset and baby, you know, trying to develop into a pattern yep. uh, from those mm. early weeks. Um, <sighs> practically speaking, is it difficult to get a child into a sleeping routine? kind of a loaded question um children need to be helped and sleep is a homeostatic um developmental process so it's i mean my philosophy would be to guide them gently into it rather than like a good sleep coach would never allow a baby to cry it out because we don't know if it damages them down the road it breaks um it breaks trust because they don't know um they don't know why they've been left to cry. Um, they don't know night is any different from day and that they're supposed to sleep. So you're not one in support of putting them into the furthest room in the house and let them cry it off and leave Definitely them be and not. they'll cop on. Definitely no. not. No, no. Mum's tiredness. Yes. Dad's tiredness. Tiredness in general is the enemy. Yes. You know the way that you have two people with a baby in most instances... Working that, you know, on-off sleep arrangement with the baby, is that a good idea to do as well, to that one is getting rest when the other is occupied and vice versa? I think so. I think that's a good strategy. Um, I suppose a good way to look at it is if um, pre-baby you needed eight hours sleep, how are you going to make up that eight hours in any given day between the two of you? You know, you can only survive on a certain amount of sleep. Um if you're breastfeeding, a lot of the um, a lot of the workload does fall on the mum, but it is a good idea to maybe do it in shifts. So the mum, the dad, can sort of be usually the one that stays up a little bit later and lets the mum 
sleep. Yes, and then she takes over when the baby wakens. Yeah. How soon should a baby be into a routine of, because I, I think back to my own and my grand, my, my granddaughter's four and a half now, where they get, say, um, you start in the morning, they, they, they take a morning nap, then they're up for a time, they take an afternoon nap, and then you try and get them as many hours through the yeah. night as you can. When should that kick in? After how many months? Uh, well, Babies, while they're inside, are exposed to their mum's melatonin and their mum's... In the womb. Yeah, in the womb. And their mum's 24-hour clock. Once they're born, all bets are off. So they don't have a 24-hour clock. They don't have melatonin. And that tends to kick in around three months of age. So, But we can kind of give them 12 hours of daylight. Um, Babies are only really capable of being awake for about an hour at a time before they're overtired. That's not to say that babies do that but we can use slings and movement and um to encourage more sleep yeah exactly yeah and with time then as they move on through the months from one two three four five up to you know six yeah. month months old it, it changes rapidly or should change rapidly into a more set routine of awake time and sleep time it should <laughs> but it's not always as simple yes, as that exactly. i take it yeah. <laughs> um i mean you can kind of guide a routine in and you know have no light after seven o'clock you know um, artificial light that will inhibit melatonin you can um, babies like routines and stuff so you can kind of start with that Um, but they've got an awful lot of developmental leaps in the first year that you might just be in a routine and then the following week something throws it out like teething or yes, they've learned to crawl or whatever. Yeah, and that's all coming into the equations. They yeah. have vaccinations to get in the yeah. first year. There's so much coming at yeah. them in their, in their first year life. And I know I'm talking a lot about sleep because I know uh, sleep is a big factor. But of course, how they feed is important as well, yeah. that they feed well. And then, of course, weaning them from yeah. the bottle to the solids. Oh, my God, it's a... It's an absolute science, isn't it, across many areas? I I suppose it can be as hard or as easy as or as complicated as we want it to be. Um, I would be a fan of baby led weaning. So as soon as the baby's able to sit up, say around six, seven months, the baby, as long as you're eating something healthy, they can eat what you're eating. Um, So it's messy, but it means that you're not pureeing food. You're not worrying about having all their food prepped the baby just gets along with it and eats and they tend to be better eaters because of it because you've allowed them to explore the food you've allowed them to taste and it's the whole sensory thing that's involved with food so yeah you are speaking from experience as well because you have three of your own yeah they're 12 Nine and four and a half. Okay, so you've been through this on, on three occasions. Yeah. And and you, this hasn't always been your calling and, and you haven't always... You're from, of course, the northeast uh, of Ireland, but you spent time in Australia. Yep. How, how long were you in Australia? Um, I was in Australia for 16 years and then in the north of England for three and then home. So you've spent a lot of your life uh, away from yeah. home. Yeah. Did you love Australia? Yes, very much so. Would you like to still be... Oh, look at what's on, on the television at the moment with I know, those yeah, fires. scary, scary, scary stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, Australia has a great way of life if you're young and, um, you know, it's all outdoors. It's great for families and stuff, but it's also really expensive um, and it's on the other side of the world. Mm. So... Yeah, I mean, in an ideal world, if I won the lottery, would I go back? Maybe. <laughs> but anyway, here you are in Termon, yeah. in County Loud, at yeah. this point in time with your children. Are you in demand? Are your services in demand? 
I think um, doula work is growing. I think, as you said, um, people struggle with sleep. Um, people struggle with what normal infant behaviour is. Um, they don't know, you know, we're still, we've got throwbacks to older generations that say, if you pick that baby up, um, you're going to spoil it, when in fact the opposite is true. So, yeah, I think it's a growing industry. It's not maybe as big in Louth um, as it would be in Dublin. I don't know if it's just more awareness, if it's more professional couples who are used to paying for services just see it as another service. Mm. Um, but hopefully, yeah, it will spread. And and more people will will engage you. You're trained as a doula. You mentioned you have more training on the way. Um, is it best for couples, nearly to consider a doula before baby arrives? Or suddenly you're in the headlights and baby is here and there's chaos all around and then you get the call. What's the ideal? The ideal is probably preparation and also to look at your own parenting styles and to look at how you were parented. Um, because that's where an awful lot of the issues arise um, later on with, I suppose, discipline and um, someone might be very relaxed. Um, someone might let the child choose for themselves, whereas someone else might have had a very controlled upbringing. Um, so it's good to have the conversations beforehand. And um, yeah, I mean, it's always preparation is key, I think, um, to think about your birth um anything that's led up to your birth, to think about um, how you might feel afterwards, um, what changes this baby is going to bring, um, to think, you know, it's, it's an awful lot to do with as well. If you think about what type of person would I like my child to be when they grow up, do you want them to be confident? So then you have to do all you can to give them choices that are going to make them confident and um so those early choices and early interventions are so important, you're saying yes, to me. Yes, definitely. Um, you have a lovely name, I have to say, for your business, Bear and Bundle. I presume that's bearing the baby yes. and then you arrive with this bundle yes. ho- ho- home to the house. Yes. You've obviously seen on a practical basis yourself the difference your intervention makes. Yes. Um, I mean, I get... The nicest thing probably is a year or so after the baby is born and I get a random um, photo text from a parent saying, thanks so much, the baby's now uh, a year old and I believe that it's um, your help that, you know, gave us the right steps and the foundation for having a, a happy beginning with the baby. Um Yeah, I mean, I'm not perfect, I'm not the expert, but um, I definitely see um, improvements. Yes, with your intervention. What's that pyramid you have sitting sitting in front of you there just before we finish? So this is um, based on Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Oh yes, brings me back to my studies. Yes, I I have indeed, yes. Um, And it's the idea that if we don't get the foundations right, if we don't meet the um, physiological needs and the emotional needs and the attachment for babies, then they're not going to meet the other developmental and learning um, milestones. So we have to get it right at the very bottom and meet all those before. 
the they progress through life and mm-hmm. move up through the hierarchy of needs. Exactly. There, I am very yeah. familiar with it. So th- that bottom quadrant of Maslow is really yeah. at the beginning of life and those early interventions as well. Yeah. So it's the feeding, changing, helping to sleep at the bottom, and then you've got the um, that babies only feel safe when they're touching or can see and smell a care provider, and then the next one would be love and attachment um, through connection, responsiveness, meeting all their emotional cues, and then the recipient precocity of baby serves you a cue you answer the cue like a smile and it's building yes. you know it's just brain development it's building mm. that brain development yeah uh, there's nothing nicer my son has uh, a wee girl and she's four or five coming five months now and you can see you know uh, that okay, that fuck. development yeah. happen yeah. happen as well so it, it is simply wonderful if people want to touch base with you or find out more about bear and bundle how do they do that Yep, you can look up my website. It's called bearandbundle.ie um, and so is my Facebook page. Um, I'm sure if you looked up Jennifer Campbell um, in Drogheda, I would pop up as well. I'm going to be teaching courses this year um, to new parents and parents-to-be about um, biological um, newborn behaviour mm. and sleep. And um, Where are they being. happening? They will be happening in Drogheda. Yeah, and there'll be more about that as the year yeah. moves on. Yeah. Great. OK, you can let us know about that and we'd be happy to inform others about it. Lovely to meet you on the show today. Good wishes with your work. Now you know what a doula does. <laughs> Jennifer Campbell, thank you for <laughs> joining me on much. the show. Thank, thank you. you. That's a lot on late lunch for this Friday and the first week of the new year. Eddie's coming next with The Drive. See you Monday, half past one. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. We want you to challenge us for the best deal on a new Renault or Dacia in 2020. You can now inquire at blackstonemotors.ie. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 